ritual is not so good. Well, your behavior should change. You should, if you if you see the class is beginning or the llama's in here, then you go move quickly. Not like this. <laughs> you need to be the important thing is what, not your behavior is what, your mind. Ah, beings. Yeah. Is there somebody else out there yet? <laughs> Would you please go and get them and bring them in? If there is. Yeah, if there is. If there is. This is why it's very, very difficult to actually teach guru yoga to Westerners. I almost don't even bother. Wait, wait, wait years. Don't get it. Don't get it. If I was here for half an hour sitting here waiting, the students would walk in and spend a half an hour walking, right, like like this. Should run. Just shows a lack of, uh, really lack of understanding. Really, it does. Lack of understanding. Good illustration. You think it's the walking that's going to do it. Big mistake. Big error. Big error. Nomo tasa bhagavato arato samma sambuddhasa. Nomo tasa bhagavato arato samma sambuddhasa. Nomo tasa bhagavato arato samma sambuddhasa. I will awaken speedily for the sake of all sentient beings. Speedily. Did you hear that? Speedily. <laughs> Not dragging your feet like you're in molasses. That's what you do when you're practicing. Yeah. I will awaken speedily for the sake of all sentient beings, not yourself, just yourself. For all beings, wisdom, compassion, and non-clinging awareness. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Non-clinging awareness is it. Not drag your feet awareness. Yeah, that's true. This was good. I like how life presents many good examples. Many, many years ago, about 900 to be precise, 876 years ago, just kidding, something like that, the great, the great Tibetan translator and yogi Marpa was receiving the Hevadra initiation from his guru Naropa. Hmm? And during the initiation, the vision of Hevadra, the full mandala, appeared in the sky. Imagine it, just beautiful, just clear, clear to, to Marpa, who's receiving the empowerment. So what does Marpa do? He does three prostrations before the image the, of Hevadra, the mandala of Hevadra, appearing in the sky. What does Naropa say? You've blown it. Big error. You mistook the guru. 
which one's the guru? And says, for that reason, the, the lineage will not go to your son. This is an important principle. I'll leave that with you to ponder. That's a pretty attained yogi, making a mistake like that. Bowing before the reflection of the guru's mind, not, not to the guru. I could go on for quite some time about this, the Western mind. But I won't. I'm going to go into a second class on the mirror, mirror-like illusion. Do you have any questions? Is that a, is that a pertinent uh, question there, Tilda? I didn't hear what you said about the lineage. I didn't say anything about lineage. No, I'm kidding. I, I did. Uh, no, and Naropa's comment to Marpa was, because of that um, error of misunderstanding, the lineage would not go to his son. It would go to somebody outside of his family. As a matter of fact, his son died, fell off a horse, cracked his skull open, died in his father's arms. You see, it's not so much about the being, although that's important, the being who is the Lama, the being who's the Guru, it's that you understand the importance and the vitality of the Buddha nature. This comes out in the um, illusory body yoga. If I see beings coming for a Dharma class, like that, and the teacher passes them, and they don't actually change their behavior. What does that tell us, very obviously, about their behavior? That they're stuck in the rule and ritual, and that they don't actually see that they need to change to accommodate the immediate situation. Did you follow? That would be like, give me an example. That would be like a car coming down the road and the llama is in the car. And the student happens to be standing in the middle of the road. So what does a student do? They make three prostrations as the car runs them over. Or they're moving so slowly because they're in deep retreat, the car rolls them, runs them over instead of doing what? Jumping out of the way. Do you see what I'm getting at? So unless the realization, unless the um, experience derived from retreat, which is about freedom, gets translated into life, then beings are stuck in what? Spiritual activity and not the essence. That's why I teach so much. Because I see people who do all this retreat work, these all kinds of retreats, but when it comes to the moment, they go to a marketplace, they go home, and, and there's a laundry machine. You know, they have to wash the clothes. Uh, just taking off on a title of a book, you know. Oh, oh my God, I've got to the washing machine now. Or something happens. Oh, oh my God, and where's... Or they go to another country, right? 
and they're confronted by a different culture or by a police state or there's people with, with machine guns all of a sudden. You watch the retreat. You watch people in retreat. Yeah. Oh my God, there's machine guns. Like that. You see? What I'm talking about? So there's this thing called meditative experience. And then there is the ability to translate the meditative experience into life. Seamless life. Did you understand? Seamless. So today was a very good example of where I see that the experiences have not been translated clearly into just life, spontaneous life. Do you see what I mean? It's, for instance, if there was a... I could see it now. The water's rising here, rising, rising. <laughs> and people are sitting there going, I move very slowly. Or there's a mudslide happening. What happens if there's a mudslide happening? It's been raining, and you're sitting here in retreat. I go very slowly. Does that make any sense, oh wise beings? No. You'd move, how fast would you move? You'd be running, right? You'd pick something up immediately that you need, and you'd run for your life. Understand? Why don't you run for your life? Because you don't actually respect the Dharma as deeply as the walking slowly. Mm. So not just those beings that were walking slowly when the Lama came in, but for everybody else, I use this as an example. Thank you for doing that, by the way. It's very important. Use as an example that that there, that if you don't take refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, or the Guru, the Adam, in the Vajrayana tradition, the Guru, the Adams, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, and the protectors, then or at least the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, or at least take refuge in a mentor. Uh, it's a very difficult road, I tell you, because it's always about spiritual materialism, getting the right rosary making sure you're in a retreat with the right jacuzzi. What model, you know, excuse me, what model jacuzzi is it uh, for the retreat? I, I want to know before I go to the retreat if it has the uh, such and such jacuzzi model or, you know. Oh, it's becoming that way. You're actually extremely rare for people to be in a retreat where you're practicing these yogas. This is rare. Practicing actually liberation. I say no more. I say no more. Okay. Any other questions? Anything else this morning? Yes? I have a question about um, is there really a distinction between awareness and consciousness? Is there really a distinction between awareness and consciousness? What would you say? There's an appearance that there is. Very good. That's right. How can there be any distinction between awareness and consciousness? Does consciousness separate off from awareness? No. But there are times when there are experiences that appear to be pure awareness without a conscious busybody. And yes, that's the case. Yes, that can be the case. Um, but that does, does that mean that, the consci that consciousness is gone? Not necessarily.
You see, this is like the, the, the mirrors or like the moon and water. We see very little. But sometimes we hone in on things. When we hone on, in on things, we get better resolution of certain things. As we get better resolution of certain things, other things fade away. So, so people get very scared. They get the idea, well, if I lose consciousness, but there's pure awareness, I may die. There may be something wrong. But in fact, is consciousness still there? Where did consciousness go? Maybe consciousness was never, ever separate from awareness. Of course. Makes sense, doesn't it? Makes perfect sense. Or you can dissolve things back. It's like sugar and water. Hmm? Sugar and water. If you dissolve sugar, soon, soon, I hope, to be a control... I don't really hope so. I, I was just saying to Nicolina this morning, we should start, start a, a sugar plantation. A uh, sugarcane plantation on Galliano Island, just you know, for the future days when it becomes a controlled substance. Get 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 into get, in, get into it now, you know. You know how growing it in the backwoods. Sugar, imagine sugarcane in the backwoods, hidden hidden from the police. You know when it's when it's when it's a prohibited substance. Imagine, you know, hiding your sugarcane. Oh, it's a funny world. It's an amazing world. But. Uh, Some things just uh, vanish, like sugar and water, even though the, the sugar is still there. Do you see? So it appears like water, but in fact the sugar is still there. But then when you change the water, for instance, you evaporate a little bit or you cool it down, what happens? All of a sudden the sugar, ever, it's beautiful, have you ever seen that? When the, sugars, when the sugar crystals fall out and you've got the light in the right direction and all of a sudden it's like snow, like snowflakes, like uh, crystals falling, little tiny uh, diamond light coming out of the solution and just falling like gentle snow. And all it takes is just a change of temperature or a bit of dust falling on the surface, microscopic dust falling on the surface into the water and all of a sudden, it's called nucleation, all of a sudden the crystal, the um, molecules of salt just start forming crystals and fall. It's very beautiful. So was it there? Yes. In the same way we do this all the time, we have nucleation happening of phenomena, but it's there. We just don't see it. So this is why all these categories of these levels are useful for where to turn the mind and understand but they are not separate. They're not, 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 not separate. So, awareness doesn't grasp, but it appears that... Pure, pure awareness does not grasp. Mm-hmm. Pristine awareness does not grasp. But consciousness appears to grasp phenomena. That's right. But as soon as, as soon as consciousness is seen as the nature of pure awareness, it ceases grasping. So this is what you have to do. This is why it's important to hear this orally over and over and over again. It's one of the hardest things to actually get. It's amazing. This is why the oral tradition is so important. Is It's extremely difficult unless someone points this out who has the experience. Like looking in a mirror. I'll give me an example. It's like, look, I'll tell you how hard it is. Have you looked in a mirror and see where your reflection is? Where is the reflection in the mirror? Where does it appear to your mind? No matter how hard you try to do this, you will not be able to break this unless you really work at it. Where does the image appear in all mirrors? 
Did you see? Did you look? Where does it appear? In the mirror. Does it? Where does it appear? Hmm? No, 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 no. Come on. This is not a Zen question. In front of you, yes, that's one. That's very important. It appears in front of you. Even if you hold something aside, it still appears in front of you. Where is the image of you in the mirror? Where does it? Where do you actually see it? Do you see it on the mirror surface? Come on. In the depth. Isn't that weird? If you get the closer you get, closer you get, the closer you get, you can actually do what? Touch the glass, but you don't touch the image. When you stand back from the mirror, where is the image? Inside the inside the mirror, not on the surface of the mirror, on the other side, relatively appearing to the distance. Is that true? No, it's true, but that's not what actually happens. Where does the image appear? It's on a reflected surface. What do what does our consciousness do? It makes it out there. But that's not where it's happening. You say, well, the mind. Okay, but that's too theoretical right now. Where does it actually happen? It's on the surface. Right? It's reflecting. It's not out there. That's how deep the delusion is. Isn't that extraordinary? And you try to break that. Have you tried to break that? You try to break it. You try to go up to that mirror, back and forth, and see if you can actually experience where the reflection is happening. You see how tough it is. You can, you can do it. It's very, very difficult. In the same way that the thoughts are something different than pristine awareness is very rare to describe, very rare to teach, and very rare to hear, and very hard to break because of habit patterns, just like the mirror. Extremely different, difficult. And the pattern of believing that something else liberates other than awareness is very, very tenacious. It's like a a plague. just like a play. Because it's like an infection that's so overwhelming that you live in it, you simply don't know how to get out of it. Like a mirror. Like a mirror, like a mirrored room. You just don't know how to get out of the mirrored room. Mm-hmm. But there's so much space. Imagine a mirror a mirrored room. Infinite amounts of space. I mean you can go anywhere but you can never get out. Ever been in a mirrored room? They're, they have in some place in the world they have these you know, like in Rochester in the um, is the Kodak Museum? I think Corning. so. Corning? I don't think it's at Corning. I think it's in the Rochester Art Art Gallery. They have a complete mirrored room you can walk. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. So you've got all this infinite space, but you really can't go anywhere. You can go at the door. But the reflections of things, including yourself, are so overwhelming. Do you get the the illusion here? The reflection of yourself in all these experiences is so overwhelming, the bewilderment is huge. So this bewilderment over consciousness is is like the mirror. 
it's pervasive. So you see the reflections of yourself and you see the reflections of stories everywhere in your life and you don't know where to turn for freedom. Do you see why the guru is the most important? I'm not boasting, not about me. I don't need to promote this. But when you see the depth of hell that people go through, the confusion, that the appearances is what's important. Where the I'm not talking about these appearances. These are important. Uh -huh. <laughs> but that the that it's just like being in a mirrored world, where every time you turn around, you see yourself, but you don't you don't know you see yourself. Did you do you follow? Like looking in a mirror, and every time you look in the mirror, you don't see the objects. All you see is yourself. It's like coming into this room and instead of seeing the space of the room and the openness of the room, the first thing you see is people, right? Because we're habituated. You see people's faces. You check everybody out. Is it safe? Is it good? Do they like me, right? But to walk into a space and see the potential, see the openness, see the vastness, see the potential creative nature, the infinite nature of any space is extremely rare. And so too, the space of the mind, which is infinite, absolutely unobstructed, is like looking into a mirror and being bewildered. Because what do you see? Objects. Self and objects. So, so you see, the mirror is a marvelous, absolutely extraordinary. I was thinking maybe I'll teach this for an entire month at Wangapaka next retreat. It's okay, I gave some title out to generals, fine. That's always good. Blazing Awakeness. That was well, that was what Alan wanted. Blazing Awakeness. I, okay, fine. It's a great title. Oh, I can think of what I'm going to do in the next couple of days. Okay. But this is of such importance. The struggle of beings to um, get out of the mirror, the mirror room, when all they see is the appearances of the training and the culture and the views, is so painful. Eh? It's just. Oh man, should you have compassion? This should bring about a heart of compassion. Understanding, the more you understand about the empty nature of reality and the empty nature, the open, the unobstructed nature of consciousness, your heart should grow every single day or month with more and more compassion for the tyranny and the, the illusory tyranny that people are in just like being in a mirrored house and not knowing how to get out. And they're crying for help. And they reproduce the means to get out in the only way they know from the culture they know. So if you want to get out and you're an American or Canadian, living in affluent material culture, then you'll create the devices based on that, which is more mirror-like illusion. That's all. You just keep reproducing. Infinitely. Infinite distractions of spiritual illusion over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. For what purpose? Because that's all you know how to do. This is rare. I tell you, this is rare. What do we teach? Non-clinging awareness at all times. What's our vow? to maintain, well, if you took the the uh, vow of an agpa, of a yogi, right? 
what's the vow? To maintain pristine awareness of non-clinging, pristine awareness at all times. And if you break it, you must repair it. You want a tough one to do? Why? Because the prison's so deep. It's like being in a prison, but it's an art gallery. Can you imagine? You're in a prison, but it's just like, oh my God, it's got hot tubs, it's got beautiful art on the walls. Sound familiar? Yeah. Beautiful scenery, but, you know, the warden's a really friendly person, right? The warden is just like, hi, hey, would you like a coffee? Would you like a cappuccino? Maybe an espresso, macchiato, with a little bit of sugar, you know, in there. What would you like? Could you imagine being in a prison where it's just... Well, this, this is this, the, the, the television program, The Prisoner. Have you ever saw The Prisoner? Why would you ever leave the village? Everything's provide Health care, everything's pleasant. Why would you ever want to leave the village? It's worth seeing The Prisoner, the movie, the, the program. But Patrick Magoo in number six, he wants to get out. And people are looking at him. Don't, you know, who, why do you want to disturb the village? Yeah, it's quite something. It's very bold for the, for the 1960s. So have compassion. But to have more compassion, what do you need? More penetrating insight into the nature of emptiness. Liberation. And the more you have that, the more your heart goes out and you go, oh my gosh. We need to awaken more. Why? To help things come out of their, their dream world. Thinking that they actually have to walk slowly. Do you need to walk slowly? I told you to walk slowly, yes? So you walk slowly. But it may not be appropriate for a certain moment. You'll get out of the way when there's mudslide, but will you, will you move when there's dharma? Oh, I don't know. Any other questions? <laughs> this is why many of the uh, Indian, Indian Tibetan meditational deities, more of them than the peaceful ones, have sharp weapons because the mind requires sharpness to bring out liberation. It's an interesting point. If you count the number of yidams, count the number of deities, and look at what they are, you'll see that the majority, by about 65 to 70%, the majority of Yadams are fierce, with fierce weapons. Why? Because it takes fierceness and sharpness to break the hallucination. And when people are confronted by that, they run like crazy. Why do they run? Because they're afraid of what? Leaving the house of mirrors. I tell you. They've even killed Dharma teachers because they are afraid to leave the house of mirrors, the safety of the house of mirrors. And yet they still cry out, please free us, please free us. And what do we have to do? Then we have to bring out candies. Now this kind of retreat, this pure completion yoga, there's no candies. There's almost no candies here. Oh, you're living in luxury. It's beautiful. It's glorious. But you see, there's no candies. You've had no candies in this retreat. No pretty candies. It's all completion yoga. Just go and look at the nature of the way things are. But if you won't come out, then we need candies because children need sweets. You see? 
something to bring you out, something to bring you out, something to bring you out. It's called compassion. This is very compassionate teaching. But it's not for many. Why? Because the candies, the sugar's not high enough, the sugar content's not high. How many of you can actually have hibiscus tea without sugar? Yeah. Or have a coffee without sugar, without adulterating it. Just life as it is and taste it without without adulterating it. Did you see? By the way, I'm not saying I mean sugar can be glorious. I'm not I'm not I just get the principle. I've experimented with tea and found out many times a very, very good tea with one eighth or one tenth of a teaspoon of sugar can bring out flavors that are you know, this is, so this is this is different. You see? But unadulterated life is what? Unadulterated life as it is is extraordinarily magnificent. And what do we do? We go around adulterating. For what purpose? To give it sugar. We sugar it up. We, we gild the lily. We don't need to gild the lily. Life as it is is absolutely startlingly, mind-bogglingly wondrous. And the mind... Mind in its pristine, clear aspect is mirror-like consciousness reflecting all that wonder. But when it's covered with hand smears, you ever, you, how many have, gla- you have glasses? Mm-hmm. You know what it's like to look through your glasses when they're all smeared with your finger grease and they've been left, and it's like you, you don't hear that on tape. It's like. And some people don't notice it anymore. Have you noticed that? Oh yeah. yeah. They wear smeared glasses with fingerprints it's just and off. yeah, it's just and and they never they never clear them. They, I, well, there's a there's a the, there's a barber that I see very often in New Zealand, and every time I go in there, he makes the same comment to me. It's very interesting. And this is the teaching of Dharma. Every time, it's been years now. He sees every time I go in there, he makes the same comment. Sometime he goes, "How is it your glasses are so?" Isn't this interesting? How people open the door? How do you, like, what is it about your glasses that are so clear? And he takes his off and, like, smeared and smudged. And he says, How do you do it? So we always have a discussion about, I, I repeat it, about how I take care of glasses. What's he really asking? You see? What's he really asking? And then, of course, it gets into his divorce and. The, ch- the kids and school and problems but it's all about how clear how clear seeing as a being you know? how clear are your glasses are you seeing through thick thick goo and dust and thinking that's the way the, the world is or getting them clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer until the transparency is there the joy of transparent as it is, as it is. This is profound to me. This is deeply, deeply profound. It's kind of like cutting a gem halfway, you know, not not finishing polishing it. And you look at it, and it's 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 cut, but it's 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 dead. Do you see? But you turn it, and it gives off light, but it's. Because you don't polish it, you don't you don't look at it. Oh, 
<laughs> so this, this, um, look how insidiously evil this is concerning the mirror. Where does that image appear? On the other side of the mirror. Is that, is that not weird? It appears four feet, ten feet in the distance in what's called the mirror space. How? But that doesn't occur in a lake when you look at the, mirror, the moon and the water, does it? Where does the moon appear? On the surface. But in a mirror, where does it appear? Way out there. And the closer you get, well, yes, you get closer to it, but then you find you can't. Strange, isn't it? And a funny thing about the reversal in the mirror, have you noticed this? Have you tr- did you try reversing and putting things up? It looks fine, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel just fine? Like you put your hand up like this and you go, oh, that makes perfect sense, but it's reversed. I mean, it's like someone coming out and taking your heart and putting it on their side and you go, now I don't feel so good. <laughs> like that doesn't feel very good when the heart gets moved on the side. But it's fine when you look at yourself and even if you try going like this with the, you go like this. Right hand. Right hand, and yet the reversal is on the left side of your body, right? And it's fine. How does this happen? Because you're simply, we're simply not seeing what's there. You should not trust what's in a mirror. And yet we do, don't we? Every day we learn to trust what's in a mirror. We've actually got complete reversal. And yet, in our consciousness, we translate it as being just fine. And we know how to do it. We know how to shave, or we know how to comb our hair, right? We get very used to it. It happens very, very early on. Could you see this as being an analogy for life? We get very used to it and don't know that we're actually seeing images of our own consciousness. This is profound. So I'm going to describe to you this morning many things. It turns out too, by the way, the reason why we don't why we don't have reversal up up and down in mirrors. Besides that, you know, the reflection doesn't quite work that way. But you can do a mental experiment this way, projecting yourself upside down, and you'll see it's very hard to do. We're used to going this way, but we're not actually cognitively. It takes a lot of energy to flip people over. We're not used to that. We're used to actually seeing people from different different ways, like this, right, left, but we don't normally have the experience of people upside down. It takes a lot, it turns out it takes a lot of brain power to experience people upside down, because we don't have it, we don't need to do it, so it's very hard hard to do. There's so much in here to do, I'm just going to pick, uh, otherwise it would be a three or four hour class. So I want you to consider that what you see in the mirror you cannot trust as being true. And I want, if you spend time with the mirror, you will see, uh, and daily life cognition, you will see that what you, I hope by now in this retreat, that what you see and what you hear and so on are highly suspect. Yes? Highly suspect. Here's a beautiful statement. We are suffering from an illusion 
if we think we could just determine the properties of a mirror image by looking at it. In other words, trying to figure out how a mirror works by just looking at it is an illusion in itself. Have you tried that? So how does this mirror work? Have you tried to... And it's not easy. Because now you're going... So how does this work? How does it? How does the light go in and bounce off? And, and why is it that I see the image at depth in the space behind it, but really it should be where? On the surface of the, of the mirror. Strange, isn't it? But you can't figure this out. Like you, you go, and you try to change the consciousness, it's not working. Reflections in a mirror are a particularly clear example of the fact that there is no, quote, innocent eye. That is, there's no pure perception, perceptual instrument, that looking at the world would not let us see anything unless we come equipped with a substantial set of assumptions about what we think we will see. In other words, we come with assumptions of what we think we will see, and that's stronger than what we will see. This is very important. To break out of the mirror box, the mirror, the mirror room, you have to know that you're coming in to the mirror room with a whole set of assumptions that determine how the world is experienced. Not, not that you are a pure perceptual being. We come equipped with a, with a substantial set of assumptions about what we think we will see, assumptions that are generally not evident to us. Make sense? Are you getting it? I hope you are. Not bad. Not put yourself down. But you allow the assumptions to come forward bit by bit. By, and this is liberation. Not to shirk away from them, not to run away. Not to hide in the sand, not to doll it up and pretty itself out, up, but to do what? See life as it is and trust that life as it is is glory, not the assumptions. The question of whether a mirror image would appear inverted along the horizontal or vertical dimension for an objective observer therefore makes no sense. The image we see in the mirror is the image we have constructed depending on the way we project ourselves into the mirror space. The way we project our mind into the mirror space is what we see. That should be fairly evident by now. But it's very hard to break that. The mirror is tough. It's like, oh, oh. Just try that. See if you can actually break the hallucination of the mirror space for where the image is actually occurring, which is on the reflective surface. Actually, it's appearing in your consciousness, but it should be, it should be appearing on... Like sometimes when you look in a window. Right? Well, nothing at all. <coughs> no. Wait a minute. No Wait a minute, nothing. It's because the light properties aren't there. So there's no image in the window. You see it because you're a different angle. And what do you see? Something moving. 
but you, if you just see a little bit, you assume that there's a person. Have you ever had that experience? I had a, um, I, I'll tell you, I'll share it with you. I don't often share meditative experiences, but one of these glorious moments once in retreat, many, many, many moons ago, of, uh, uh, of, of meditating, practicing, and this is one of those ones that was one of those great epiphanies. We're doing very slow walking practice. Very slow in a, ca- in a cabin. And then stopping and going back to sit. But as it turned, I looked out through the window. And there was a person standing there, hovering outside the window, which is now normal to me. It was perfectly normal. There was a... And it actually was my own being, standing right outside the window. With a red, um, red red sweater on, like this. So I looked. Whoa, that's cool. This is this is the beauty about deep retreat, deep retreat, deep retreat. And it was perfectly fine. There was a so-called Mark Weber standing just outside the window. Perfect. Clear. I'm going, beautiful. Okay. So I started walking very slowly back to the cushion, back to the bed to sit. And I'm walking back for just a while. I'm just about to sit and go, wait a minute. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) You, You get it? It, to have a Mark, you're here, but there's a Mark Weber perfectly well standing outside the window looking in. You see? It wasn't disconcerting, but it was just sort of one of those moments where after about five minutes of walking very slowly, went, wait a minute. <laughs> so I sat down like this and went, well, that was peculiar. And I looked like this and it's gone. And then I noticed over there, there's a chair with my red yeah. jacket on it, reflected in such a way that it projected the uh, the uh, clothing out there in such a way that it was the right height, and the consciousness filled in the rest, and there was a Mark Weber standing out there, perfectly fine, projected in space outside the window, standing up, and it was perfectly okay. Did I have a good laugh? So what is it that we see? Not only very little. Now, try doing that, this, the card, in the mirror. That's really good. (laughs) Okay. The image we see in a mirror is the image we have constructed depending on the way we project ourselves into mirror space. Independent of such a projection, there's simply no image there for us to see. Mm-hmm. So the being standing outside the window is a projection, but that's it. That's how it always is. Little bits of information constructed into a solid-seeming reality. 
I'll read that again. The image we see in the mirror is the image we have constructed, depending on the way we depending on the way we project ourselves into the mirror into mirror space. Where's the mirror space right now? It's with us all the time. It's called consciousness. But it happens so quickly. There's beings that appear to me to be sitting in mirror space in front of me, whereas where's the reflective surface? In the mind. Boom. Just like that. So that's what you do. Why you slow down in Vipassana? You slow down so much, you start catching that discrepancy all the time. All the time. All the time. All the time. You'll see that the being out there, standing in front of you, is happening all the time in little ways. Why did I not react? Because I was doing so much of it, it was actually just fun. The, the consciousness was actually now used to a being appearing in space, an identical Mark Weber appearing in space. It didn't bother me at all. It actually took, what, five minutes or seven minutes to cotton on that something a little peculiar about, because also I wasn't wearing a red sweater. <laughs> and it takes time. You slow down that much, some things are like, oh my goodness. Because the being out there, which is also Mark Weber, was wearing a red sweater, and the being sitting on the bed was not wearing a red sweater. But for a while, there was no. It was like, oh yeah, there's 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 Mark Weber out there, perfectly fine, not disconcerting whatsoever. I just share that with you to give you an example of of what where the consciousness needs to go to start breaking out, breaking through, the. That the space, the mirror space, is actually the way you experience. Independent of such a projection, there's simply no image there for see. The word independent, independent of such a projection, it's interdependent. Andrea could see something in the mirror, I could not. You see, so Andrea is quite sure that I am here because I am here because she can see movement. Quite sure of it, right? But you don't even, unless you slow way, way down, the assumption, are, are you, are, is this making sense to you? The assumption about what you see, unless you slow way, way down, you don't even get to see the assumption. So it, within, within less than a second, Andrea actually looking in the window going like this, within less, of a sec, less than a second, a fraction of a second, what is the experience? Mark Weber. Mark Weber. Based on what? You're sitting there. No, no. Based on what? Just a perception, pure perception looking out there. Because I don't see You're not seeing anything, but what? Something. Your, your assumptions. Your assumptions. Now, this is a very important one. Why do we think that, that mirror images are less important than the so-called real world? So let me give you an example. If you, if you have a cigarette or a cigar, a cigar, and you look in the mirror, can someone light the image in the, in the mirror? Have you tried it? You try it. Well, with a cigar or cigarette. Try it doesn't work, does it? So would you say that the things in the mirror world, in the mirror space, are real or imaginary? We normally say they're what? They're imaginary. Why? Because they can't cause causal things to happen to us. 
So can the things in the mirror jump out and attack us? No. We're safe, right? <laughs> can now watch this. This is gonna be good. I'm I'm hoping the penny drops. Okay? That that lovely English expression, the penny drops. I'd like to look up the history. We could use the, the Oxford English dictionary for that. Um, can you give me some other examples? Do have you ever been frightened by looking in a mirror? Some people have. They've been terrified. Look in a mirror. <gasps> And then, oh my God, how did I fall for that? Can the mirror come out and comb your hair? No. So theoretically, the mirror has no ability. The images. Let's let's just let's follow follow this this mind along here, okay? I need to lead you into a rabbit hole and then pull you out. The image. Just go along and go. Yes. Fall. Go. Uh huh. The images in the mirror, that which you see in the mirror, cannot affect the universe at all because they are just appearances in the mirror. Correct? Mm-hmm. They're safe. You're safe, or and it's, or or you're not safe in the sense of well, they could be very beneficial, right? So let's say you want a new house, and now you vis- there's a new house appears in the mirror. Could you get that new house? No. The things don't come out of the mirror, correct? Is that right? Correct. Correct. Okay. Correct. Causality doesn't happen in a mirror. Just don't pop out. They don't do things. You could, for instance, let's say you wanted to pass an examination, right? So you pass the examination in a mirror. Is that the same examination? No, of course not. Of course not. I'm leading you deeper in. <laughs> what have you passed? You passed an hallucination, right? You passed a construct. Okay. Now, I haven't pre-planned this. I just kind of had an idea. I just, what am I going to do with your consciousnesses today? What would happen, and I've given this, many, this example many times, what would happen if you were gardening one day? You're out near your house, but you're gardening, and you see a hole in the earth. Okay? And it's a beautiful, interesting hole. It's probably maybe a rabbit hole. Okay, it's a rabbit hole, because now we're talking about Alice in Wonderland. It's a rabbit hole. And you're curious what's down the hole, because you're, you're young, you're, you're uh, flexible, uh, anything's possible. So, what do you do? You stick your hand down the hole. Would you stick your hand down a rabbit hole? Yeah. You would. Okay. You're curious. There's a hole in your garden, and you want to. Maybe it's a hamster hole or a gopher hole. But you put your hand down the hole, and what happens? You can't get it back out. It's stuck. Just follow along with this. Okay? You get your hand stuck down the hole, and you can't pull it out. What would happen? Let's say the whole day goes by and you still can't pull it out. You're lying there on the side of the ground, like this, on your on your right side, and your right hand is now stuck down the hole and it's been stuck there all day long. What happens? You're right you're by your garden. You know, you're right beside the garden. What what would happen? You get hungry, right? 
So what would you do when you're hungry and you're by your garden? Now, you see, I could finish this. I'm only a couple pages away. I'm finishing this, but, but this is... This is... I'm going to give you something monstrously peculiar. What would you do as a human being if you're stuck by your garden and your hand, your right hand is stuck down the rabbit hole and you're hungry? Why? You eat with the left hand. You've got you've got carrots. You've got tomatoes. You've got zucchinis. What's wrong with you? Don't you ever eat raw food? What's wrong? with Always cooked food. Barry, can you believe these people? <laughs> the garden's right there, and they go, help, help, help! I need cooked food. But there's tomatoes. There's tomatoes. There's strawberries. There's raspberries. There's blueberries. There's carrots. There's lettuce. And you can reach out and you can get the food, right? So you're, you can you can survive. You don't even need to reach out for you don't even need to scream anymore for help. Why? Because you can feed your you can get by, correct? Mm-hmm. What happens on the second day? Nobody comes by. This assumes that the seasons are, you know, relatively and there's rain. You eat from the garden, correct? And you begin to get comfortable, you settle in, you go. I may be here for months. Nobody's coming by. Maybe here for months. So I'll settle in and I'll start eating from the garden. And what happens after a few months? Or even maybe three weeks or a week, like being here. What happens? You get used to it. You get used to it. Are you getting the idea as your profession? (laughs) So the hand has been stuck down the rabbit hole for a month. What's happened? What's happened? That's the way I am. That's the way I am. And I feed myself with my left hand, and that's normal. Do you follow? What would happen if someone came along now after a year or three months and said, why don't you pull your your arm out of the rabbit hole? I can't. I can't. Well, why can't you? Well, I shouldn't because the garden needs to be taken care of. It needs to be, otherwise, you know, the strawberries will go to rot or the... The blueberries will, you know, and there's there's tomatoes. And if I let the tomatoes fall, they'll just rot in the soil. So I should be eating them. Wouldn't that be peculiar? Especially when you see the person's hand is stuck in the rabbit hole. Wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. From the outside observer. But for you, it's what? Business as usual. Are you uncomfortable? Well, I know people that can sleep on the ground. They're called forest yogis. And, and even, I understand... Uh, in Guatemala, it's quite normal. They have these grass mats. That's what, or um, the grass mats for sleeping on. Yeah, sleep on the grass. I'm just on a grass mat. Could you please remove your arm from the? Ra- I don't know how. And I shouldn't because the garden's going to go down. Well, why don't you just try to wriggle your fingers? I can't. I don't even know I've got fingers anymore. They're they're completely numb. They've been numb for months or weeks. But look, if you could use both hands, wouldn't that be amazing? Why would I now? So no matter what anybody says, the worldview has changed. You've now accommodated to another way of being. And it's perfectly normal. Like being a prisoner, maybe prisoner in a prisoner war camp, going, I don't want to leave. Or a, or a victim. Well, that's the way my life is. 
do you follow? The assumptions, 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 assumptions. When someone comes along, you might even get ticked off. Don't you tell me. Don't you tell me that I should pull my hand out and I'll have more freedom. Don't you tell me the way my world should be. This is, I, ha I have things to take care of. I need to take care of my garden. I can't walk away from my garden. Like the lady that couldn't come to retreats in a certain place because she had two little show dogs. So we said to her, will you put the dogs in a kennel? I can't do that to my doggies. They're special. Well, then you can't come to retreat. Well, then I won't go to retreat because my doggies are special. Well, why don't you find someone to leave the dogs with? Only I can take care of my... No. Jamie knows the history of this. <laughs> this is true. Only, only I can take care of my famous little show dogs. Well, the, the, the certain retreat organization says, then you can't come to the retreat. Okay. Next year. Can I come to the retreat? Sure. But i got to bring my dogs. Well, you can put them in the kennel, like everybody else does. I can't do that. My dogs are very precious. <laughs> and and they'll, they'll get sick if I'm not with them. Well, then you can't come to the retreat. Oh, okay. Next year. Can I come to the retreat? Sure, you can come to the retreat. Everybody can come to the retreat. Well, I got these two dogs. You can't come to the retreat. So eventually what happened? The person gave up. Does this sound familiar to the arm stuck in the rabbit hole? And they got mad, by the way, I understand. I didn't have anything to do with this. They got mad at Crystal Mountain for well, uh, for being inhumane and, and not understanding about their special issue. You want to talk about dukkha. You want to talk about madness. Eh? Poor being. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? So what happens when the hand comes out of the rabbit hole? A person helps you with pull the, the hand out. It feels weird. You don't know how to use it. It takes time to get to know how to use the hand, right? So how do you how do you just say to someone, does it work when you say to someone, just use your hand. Come on, you got a hand? Use it. You know how the males do that? Especially to you know, women and having a discussion. You know, Come on, just just uh, just pour just pour the tea, you know, like that. That works. There's a classic one, eh? Oh, shut up. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's not what they're on about. You know, guys are always like, oh, you just, just to repair it, to fix it. Just fix it. I couldn't care less about fixing it. That's not what I'm on about here. <laughs> fix it, fix it. I know how to fix it. Just fix it. So, so now you tell them, just become enlightened. Would that work? Just become enlightened. Your mind is pristinely clear consciousness. Just would you just wake up and become enlightened? Uh, can you give us something to do? Like, how? So, it'd be like saying to someone, someone has a difficulty or their hand hurt, you know, can't, well, just, just move it. <laughs> just move it. Come on, I can't move it. It's very important. So, imagine if you have paralysis and someone comes along and says, you've got paralysis, just move it. It often doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Because the brain doesn't know how to do that. Because the brain constructs a universe based on assumptions. If you lose the assumption, you don't know how to do it. So telling a person to become enlightened and yelling at them 
like a male would. Will you just become enlightened? Doesn't work. Right? Doesn't work. So you scream at them. Would you wake up now? Stop the paralysis. Doesn't work. How about through just softness? Come on, everybody. Just become enlightened. Doesn't work either. So what do you have to do to the human being, the, that brain that is constructed based on assumptions? What do you have to do to bring the being out of the paralysis? What do you have to do for the hand? By just getting to work? No, you have to stop the left hand from taking over all functions. Do you see? You have to paralyze that which has a habit pattern. Do you see? The habit patterns, the assumptions, you have to paralyze the assumptions to allow the, the map of, func- of, of right-hand functioning to come back. The question is, how are you going to do that? That's what becomes the challenge. How to trick the brain into resuming the map that it lost. Making any sense? I hope this isn't too close to the bone. Of course, I hope it is. Very close to the bone. Not to make you upset, but to actually bring to you the, the difficult, the, where the compassion should be. Everything by assumptions. Imagine. Imagine if you knew that every single moment of the day was a built-up world of assumptions and didn't have to be that way. Could you imagine what that would be like? Could you imagine? But you can't tell a person by saying, wake up and leave and walk out of the mirror mirror house. Can you? They'll attack you. I'll lose my my finances. Uh, My relationship will bust up. I'll lose my doggies, my hamster, my my hamster. You know, whatever it is. Right? They can kill you for that. They'll attack you. People get assassinated for doing these things. Even come, you know, Christ was crucified. Beings can get killed. Dharma teachers have been killed. Well, for instance, the Buddha would not declare the Sangha, the, the monastic Sangha, well, there's no monks, there's wanderers in those days, as vegetarian. He refused. That was something you have to make up on your own mind. The precept is not to kill, but you have to decide whether how you're going to eat. This upset a lot of people, especially the Brahmins. There was an attempted... He, uh, his nephew tried to kill him because he would not make the order vegetarian. A vegetarian killing the Buddha because he was so mad. Does this... Does this does, so, do you see? <laughs> Believing that vegetarian, being a vegetarian, right, a Brahmanical rule is going to lead to liberation. When the Buddha is saying, it doesn't lead to liberation. Just don't kill. And they're saying... No, if we if we if we ever have to even touch meat, we'll be we'll be impure. He's saying, drop it, drop it. You're not impure. It's what the clinging is impure. And they tried to roll a boulder down a hill, uh, down a mountain aside, to kill the Buddha. So watch out. The assumptions, wars are started. We've got one almost developing right now, around oil. Okay, and nuclear weapons. Somebody wants nuclear weapons and other people in the world don't want them to have nuclear weapons because they are feeling kind of threatened because <laughs> it only takes one nuclear weapon to wipe out the entire country. It's called Israel. Just one. right? And probably all the Palestinians around them as well. Right? 
got a very tense situation right now. Based on what? Assumptions about how the universe is. So it can get very ugly indeed. Or it can get very sweetie pie. Ever seen people in sweetie pie heavenland? So sweetie pie heavenland that they'll never budge out of any of their assumptions because as long as they're in sweetie pie heavenland, the only thing that's going to budge them is what? The earthquake, the landslide, losing all their finances. Something major has to come along to do what? Wipe them away. And take all the assumptions. And then they go, wow, am I free or what? Makes, making sense? A landslide. A life landslide. Something that moves the being. So it shatters. And they go, wow, wasn't so bad. I, I could pull the hand out of the, out of the rabbit hole. Is it? Hmm. Yeah, I could do it. Hallelujah. I could do it. So here's the question. How are you going to do this for beings? This is the challenge. Now, in the case of of amputated limbs. You know about this? Amputated limbs? A being who, or a person, who has an amputated limb, in at least 50% of the cases, maybe more, will experience phantom, a phantom limb and also phantom pain. It can be excruciating. Excruciating to, to, have, to have the hand missing and to feel not just the hand, but to feel the pain out there. Now, it's believed that the reason for that pain is because there's inflammation of the nerves. So what do you do? What's the doctor do? We take off, take off another, make another amputation to decrease the swelling and the, and the irritation there. That what happens? Sometimes it gets worse. So there was a, a uh, there is still, he's still alive, a um, wonderful neurologist by the name of V.S. Ramachandran. Lives in, I think, San Diego or California. And one day he had a patient, he's a neurologist, one day he had a patient, and he said to the patient who has an amputation, I think it was the right hand or left hand, pick up the cup. And Ramachandran was holding the cup. Do a demo there, Jamie. So imagine that, that Jamie's right hand is an amputated hand. So Ramachandran says to the patient, uh, go, f- go for the, the, the teacup. And Ramachandran then, whether he did it on purpose or accidentally, pulled the teacup away. And the person said, oh, you hurt my hand. Oh, it hurts. What hurts? Now, I don't know exactly the transcript of this, but I'm, I'm making up a little story. But so, what hurts? My fa- you hurt my hand. But you don't have a hand. But I'm in pain. Isn't that something? And that got him thinking about, wait a minute, the assumption is the pain is caused by inflammation of the nerves in the amputation. But this man just reacted as if they had a real hand. Well, then you drop it, you just get, okay, it's a phantom hand. But you see, for a man who's brilliant, like Ramachandran, he goes, wait a minute, what does this really mean? This means maybe that the actual inflammation, the pain, is not in the nerves at the end, it's actually in the brain. Brilliant. So what he did is he created what's called the mirror box. Mirror box is very simple. I don't, can you see if you can visualize this? We unfortunately, didn't get a, a chance to construct them for you, but don't really need it. You've got two boxes side by side. 
on this side, which is the left side for you, correct? Left yes. side? You put your left hand, which is the amputated hand, in the left side. And you can't see it. So you put your left hand in, which has no hand, sorry, left arm in, has no hand, and it goes in the mirror box. And your right hand goes in the other box, side by side. Except that the on the right side is a mirror. Sometimes angled, just angled in the right way. So you can look over, you can't see the left arm. But you can see into the top, into the right hand. Getting it so far? Everybody clear about it? Just tell me if you're not. Okay? So I can't see the left arm. I can see the right hand perfectly. But there's a mirror on this side. So I turn my head like this, what do I see? Left hand. I see a left hand. Reversed. I was reversed. So I see a left hand perfectly functioning in my mind's eye, and I know I don't I know I don't have a left hand, but I'm seeing a left hand. And now I go like this. And what does the left hand do? Same. Same. Same I go like this. What happens? In many cases, especially when there's been paralysis or damage to the hand before it's been amputated, the phantom limb pain goes away. Let me. Did, it, did he also speak about how much time they had to do it for? Or was it just like that was it, just that one time? Uh, the studies I've read is, especially the ones that were done by Walter Reed Hospital as controlled experiments, um, sometimes right away, sometimes over a longer period, um, and sometimes it doesn't work at all. So you have to be very careful what you read about this because there's not been down now controlled studies. It's way more complicated than, than it appears on the surface. But the point is there's been a whole bunch of cases where people have actually uh, they've removed phantom limb pain by using the mirror box. And now people are experiencing using the mirror box to what? Lower limb pain. Uh, pain in the back, pain in different parts of the body that are have nothing to do with the pain there at all. But it's simply a map held in consciousness that's very difficult to get out. And this is challenging because you have to find, like Ramachandran did, a way in. It's being used with stroke patients quite effectively. Some yes, some no. Uh, I hear this fantastic. I, I've seen... Um, examples of, fant of fantastic examples of people with, stro with strokes being able to clear up and regain use of um, limbs and other parts very, very quickly using, the, using something like a mirror box. This is a lot of ongoing research. The mirror box was only developed in 1995. I think this publication was in 1995. And control controlled studies done six, seven years after that. So there's a lot of people now experimenting with the mirror box. Fortunately, it's not very expensive. It only takes about $20 to make a mirror box, unlike millions of dollars of equipment, too. Ramachandran jokes that he, he, uh, he, he likes these experiments because he can apply and get a $20 million grant for very expensive equipment, but he likes to uh, pull, it, pull it off uh, with a bit of um, twine and a mirror for 20 bucks. They just go out and do it. So I, I think he's, he's got that kind of uh, impish nature. But very clever, very, very clever. Susie? Does this mean anything to you now, if, with the mirror box? So he proved, and people are proving all the time, all over, in neurology and neurophysiology, 
and in neurocognitive psychology, that the world as we experience it at all levels is an imaginary world. The question is how to get in there and convince the brain that it can be healed or, or be changed. This is, this is the thing. And the same thing we do in psychotherapy. We have to find a way in because a person saying, I can't, but by telling them you can doesn't always work, does it? No. Have you found that in relationships? With someone who's close to you say, you can do it? They say, oh, bug off. Stop telling me I can do it. I can't do it. And maybe a year later they do it. See? So this mirror, the, the use of the mirror is very important because it shows you very, very clearly that what you experience is illusory. But you see, you have to go beyond that. You have to go, what's the principle of happening in the mirror? And the principle is the ones, the questions I gave you. If you look at a mirror and see how the illusion is created, then you'll get stuck with the illusion. But if you turn it to what is happening globally about the mirror and the reflections in the mirror and what you're experiencing, what do you come away with, which really isn't, it's not, not addressed in this book. What do you come away with? What's the experience of the illusion in the mirror? That's what I want you to come to. That's really what is glorious about the mirror. It's not just that we come to realize, wait a minute, we don't see, we don't experience what's out there. We make assumptions. But what can the mirror do for us that some things can't? Did you study the qualities of the mirror? What is about the mirror that's so powerful? Why are we fascinated by mirrors? It's very clear. Very clear. What else? Even. Even. A good mirror is what? Free of distortion. It's quite amazing. eh? It reflects things very, very crisply. What else? It appears real. It appears real. Mm. Maybe even appears. Do you appear more real than you actually imagine yourself to be? Isn't that amazing? Think about it. You look in a mirror, and there's an image of you that doesn't even necessarily accord, if you look very, very closely, with what you mentally feel about you or see about you. Isn't that something? So what does a mirror do? This is, this is to me, these are things that need to be brought up. What does a mirror do that we don't do? It's a tough when I'm asking questions because you go, come on, come on, what's the, what's the after here? But you'll see how straightforward this is. You all know the answer. Reflects. It reflects things undistorted without you. But yet we know we're hallucinating, we're making assumptions about everything we see in the mirror. But if you don't even say that, you just look... That cup, that arm, is being represented how it is, not how I want it to be. The mirror reflects things impartially. You see? It's made of glass with a silver backing or an aluminum backing. What is a mirror? Is a mirror a person? No, the mirror is not a person. Does the mirror have consciousness? Not that we know of. Okay? Does the mirror play tricks with us? No, we do. 
The mirror simply reflects, if it's a good mirror, reflects what? Things how they are. Now, it's a little bit different as it's being presented here. But why the mirror in terms of liberation? Why is it one of the great, great signs of liberation? Concerned with mirror-like consciousness. Because a mirror undistorted reflects things as they are, not how we place things in them. So, so let's reverse the whole attitude in this book, which is what? When you look in a mirror, you get to look at you. And it, can it be startling at times? Yep. Is it discombobulating? You know that? I don't know if you know that. Do you know the word discombobulating? Can it be discombobulating at times? Yes. I didn't think I looked like that. Or, oh, do I look? Oh, what are you doing? <laughs> do I look enough like a peacock? Maybe I need a second collar of rainbow light to look like a peacock. <laughs> Am I hunting for a wife? Yeah. What, what's all this about? You know, what is it all about? It's not survival. Well, for some beings it is survival. For some beings it is survival. Absolutely. It's got that much energy invested. It's totally about survival. Right? Reproduction's all about survival. So on one hand, we have the mirror showing us what? It's all assumptions, right? On the other hand, the mirror shows us what? Clearly reflecting that which is undistorted. So what kind of mirror would you like to have for consciousness? The mirror distorted, full of assumptions, or just clearly reflecting what is with equanimity? with utter equanimity. So when you come by and you stop and you you don't in those that live in Guatemala don't, but when you stop by in a town and roll down the window and a man is standing there in a black uh, military or, or paramilitary or police you know police officer. Just a police officer, right? But there's a giant gun, right? An automatic weapon. <gasps> But if you're in Guatemala, you just get used to it, right? Automatic weapons, shiny new automatic weapons held by police like this. Or you walk by a jewelry store, you walk by, you walk, you walk into a cafe in Antigua, right? There's a guy with a shotgun, right there in the cafe. Now, Canadians, nice Canadians, do we walk into Starbucks or walk into Fortnite Parallel or Elysium Room or Crema or Revolver and they're standing right beside us while we're drinking coffee is what? A man with a shotgun or a semi-automatic rifle. Would that be normal? No. No. But if you, if you just step back for a second and experience this as what? as an image reflected in the mirror of the mind with no assumptions, what is the experience? A mind clear and reflecting phenomena as it is without assumptions. No emotional overtones, no taint. It simply is what it is appearing in the mind without any distortion at all. You see how powerful this is as a, as, a, as a tool for liberation? If the mirror gets distorted, what happens? There's distortion. 
if the mirror is clean, what happens? You're at peace. But that's not liberation. A clean mirror with no dust and a perfectly flat surface is what? Whoa. Ever, you've seen that? Like when I saw those Italian mirrors that I bought for the house, the two Italian mirrors for the, for the house, it was like, that is so sharp. I haven't seen a mirror like that. And he says, yeah, it's unusual. The guy at the store, remember I told you the story? It's unusual. Why? It's very flat and bright and clean. There's a, there's a, there's a crispness about it. But is that liberation? No. That's samatha. What's liberation? Do you hear the difference? You can spend the rest of your life cleaning mirrors and being so bright and going, whoa, sweetie, sweetie land, whoa. What is the liberation mirror? What's the mirror of liberation? Undistorted in what? The confusion that what appears in the mirror is real. And that whatever appears in the mirror is what? Interdependent on causes and conditions. Just write that down. Whatever appears in the mirror, as I told you to do with the lights, yes, the lights, train lights on and off, uh, put the lights different places and you see yourself in a very different way, right? Whatever appears in the mirror is subject to causes and conditions. It's interdependent with causes and conditions. There's nothing seen in the mirror that is, that is different. But what's the nature of the mirror? I'm going to drag you folks to enlightenment. What's the nature of the mirror? It's free of all appearances. The mirror itself is free of all appearances. And the mirror doesn't get tainted by the images. It only appears in the mirror. And what do we do? We go, <gasps> that's this card. Different cards. Okay? That's why. Look at this card. See the card? It's one by, by Magritte. What is she doing? She's looking at the text in a book and she's going, <gasps> what is it? What is, what is she's reacting to? What is she reacting to? She's reacting to an imaginary uh, entity created by her mind in her mirror-like consciousness as, as opposed to what? Text on a page. That's why movie yoga is really good. It's all movie yoga. <laughs> I like that. It's a real good one. I like to have a whole stack of these in my pocket. Just give them out like police citations. You know when people do roll down the window and there's a a man with a submachine gun. You go. They go. <gasps> you go. <laughs> fine. One hundred dollar fine. <laughs> now, if if you're in Africa somewhere and you're stopped at a police checkpoint and told to get out of the car, turn around, put your hands up with a with a machine gun stuck in your in your back. What do you do? You, do, you, do you turn around, react, and, and hit the guy in the face? <laughs> no. What What would a clear being do? Relax, have clear light, clear consciousness, and what do you do? You reflect on the state of mind of the being, right? Not the gun. <gasps> so this is what we need to wash out. 
is all the hallucinations and assumptions and keep clearing them out to do what? Experience the mirror-like clarity, reflective nature of awareness, not the images that keep coming in and going out and scaring us and and uh, exciting us and driving us here and driving us there and you see? Dwelling in mirror-like consciousness and ref- and do- and contemplating the nat- not contemplating the nature of mirror-like consciousness long enough to do what? To experience all phenomena as reflections in the mirror of the mind, including thoughts, including fantasies, everything. Can you react? Yes. Just know what it is. can react, but don't overreact. Don't go into a tizzy. Hmm? So, the mirror box. The This is where we started this morning. The, the image of the hand, of the left hand in the mirror, is now doing what to causality? It has affected causality. Isn't that cool? So that which is what's in the mirror has now changed the maps in the brain. Oh, we've come to a very important part. If things in the mirror can affect causality, because before we said, wait a minute, no, 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 nothing happens in the mirror out there, but in fact it does, what does that mean about all life? Everything affects everything else, even if you don't know it. Because everything's being mirrored by consciousness. Unless you hide in a cave somewhere and close the door and go, I will not be affected by anything. Unless the scorpions come out. What does that mean? That means that what appears in the mirror or appears in the mirror of our consciousness is actually changing our brain cells. It's rewiring our brain. Why do I have you here coming to class. You don't have to come. That's your own free will, supposedly. Except for <laughs> bodhicitta, because I trust your bodhicitta. Your bodhicitta brings you here. You don't. Guaranteed, you don't. Bodhicitta brings you here. If you didn't have enough bodhicitta, you wouldn't be in this room. You'd be running for your life. Guaranteed. Scare the pants off you. It would. You'd be running. You would have gone long ago. This means that every single phenomena is changing your brain wiring. So how do you bring a being out of life paralysis? This is Tantra. Now we're going to speak about about coming week. Out of compassion, what do you have to do? You have to create a mirror box, a mirror, a mirror room, which is different and so convincing to bring the being out of the habitual patterns of a lifetime of, of genetic, of epigenetic, of cultural conditioning that says this is the way the box or this is the way the mirror house should be. Do you see? Because you can't tell a person just to wake up. Some rare beings you can. There are a few. One in 20 million, one in 100 million just say, uh, this is the nature of the enlightened mind and it's done. It happens. It just happens. Why? Because it's ready to happen. They just need someone to come along and say, do you know that your mind is of the nature of pristine awareness? 
Exactly. They just look. That's done. Very rare. It's extremely rare. So if you want to play the lottery and just wait, you go for it. You just just go for it. And by the way, those beings that, that that does happen, if they have a really good guru guru teacher, oh, that teacher works them really hard, I tell you. Really, really hard. Why? For the benefit of all sentient beings so they can teach that. Because if that happens to you, you're finished. You can't teach because you don't know how to bring beings gradually to that experience. There's no way you're finished. It's called a Pratyeka Buddha. You're finished. Nothing you can do. You simply don't know how to bring other beings to that experience. You can, like, like a good example is Krishnamurti. Look, your mind, it's all free. He could do that over and over and over again. People in the, at the class would really have fantastic experience. Afterwards, but what do I do? I just sit with it. Just be, just be. So the, the path of gradual training is by beings who have worked out how you bring beings along step by step by step by step by step. But for very, very few is it sudden. Even when it's sudden, it doesn't always stick. It's sudden right then and then, wait a minute, I had in class, and it's gone. Or it was right in the wall. How come it's not when I go and sit and meditate anymore? Or it happened last week or a year ago. Why is it that I'm now confused? There was an experience of enlightenment five years ago. Well, why is it that I went to a marketplace and someone stepped on my foot and I screamed at them? Or you lost a suitcase and now you now you're crying. You know now you're now you're. It's all, it's all the end of the world. It's, it's, all, it's over. It's all, no, it can, it can happen, actually. The whole, whole being can collapse. It is now clear that mirror images can also sometimes influence the real world in unexpected ways. I'm hoping you're getting the idea that the mirror world is affect the mirror world of life is affecting you all the time. Shaping, 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 shaping. So is the unshaping, the liberation going to be through the mirror world or is it going to be through the nature of the mirror? Do you see the difference between samatha meditation? Ultimately they're the same by the way. But samatha, loving kindness, and vipassana or penetrative insight meditation. Do you see the difference? One is you keep trying to work it out by the reflections in the mirror. You never will. The other way is you go, what's the nature of the mirror? And if you don't penetrate the nature of the mirror, you simply keep moving around the chess pieces on the board, hoping that liberation will happen. Which model jacuzzi do you want? Which special, which special massage would you like? What, 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 works in, what works in Feldenkrais? What's the number one thing that really works in Feldenkrais? Is it the... Slowing down, being mindful. Be mindful. If you're not mindful, you may as well just take most of Feldenkrais and throw it right at it, right? It's mindfulness. Why? Because you're engaging awareness. You're letting, you're letting awareness do what it does best, which is undo the images, undo the preconceived ideas, right? Isn't that it? 
You allow awareness by helping someone, holding someone, to do what? Come to the more natural or the underlying way of being that is more, so you too, you know, help a being to find their way back to a way or a new way to be that's much healthier than the way they were. Make sense? But without awareness and mindfulness, the habit patterns do what? Come right back. Come back. It is now clear that mirror images can also sometimes influence the real world in unexpected ways. The moving hand is illusory. Haha, listen to this. The moving hand is illusory in the mirror box because there is no real hand moving where we see it. You never see a moving hand where you see it. You never see a moving person where you see it. What do you see? A reflection in the mirror of one's own mind. Never see it out there. That's the mirror space. All this is the mirror space. Right here, right now, is the mirror space. Where is it seen? In the mind. You just happen to be in the mind at the same time. Simultaneous. Where do most people experience things? Out there. Where do they experience things with their self? In here. There's no in here. Are you kidding? Have you ever had that funny experience? You start in here? Where's in here? Where in the body? Where's the body? You know, forget it. Try it. Just close your eyes and then you won't you won't even know. The moving hand is illusory because there is no real hand moving where we see it. We only think there is. But its effect is not illusory. We do not just think that the pain in the phantom limb is removed, but it really is removed. Why? Because it's all phantom limbs. All of our limbs and parts of our body are phantom. Why? They have been built up from even in as a fetus in the womb as maps of experience. And they're so deep, we simply feel them as real. You have all had experiences where you've had, you know that limbs aren't real. They are mental imagery. All of you have had it, yes? Have you all had that? You've all had perfectly clear experiences, whether in meditation or out of meditation, where there's been no limb, or where the limb hurt and then it didn't hurt. You got a pain, and then somebody talked to you, or you're having this glass of wine and go, oh yeah, I was having a pain. It's gone. The fact that things around us are mind-dependent, let me know if you don't follow some of the language here, so it's okay, please. The fact that the things around us are mind-dependent cognitive constructs that is built by mind does not keep them from being able to act as causes that bring about results. When the car is coming along the highway and you stand in front of the highway and go, it is just a mental construct, what can happen? you can get killed. There is cause and effect at a relative level. The illusory left hand can alleviate the pain of the phantom limb, and it seems that only an illusory hand could have done so. Using a real hand, for example, attached to another body would not have worked. That doesn't work. 
because the real hand could not be moved by the patient. The patient has to have the illusion of moving something. That's what works. So just telling a person to become enlightened is not movement enough. You have to actually put them in the mirror box to have it happen. Well, they have to go on pilgrimage. You need to take them into a different environment for them to see that they're in a mirror box or transport them into a new mirror world so they can have the experience of something new which is different and better than what they were in and keep giving them new mirror worlds until you can take all the mirrors away. That's called Tantra. That's how it works. That's the Tantric path. Give them a much, much, much better mirror world that leads to liberation than the mirror world they have. Nor would a completely illusory-free approach, for example, by instructing the patient to tell his brain that it is wrong in assuming there is a paralyzed limb attached to his body, have been very effective. We've been over that. Just telling a person that they're wrong, telling a person that they're not... That, can, have you ever done that? You're not in pain. The dream is re- unreal. There's no reason to be emotionally distraught when you've lost... Uh, tens of thousands of dollars. I know your house got blown away in a hurricane, but there's no reason to feel pain because of it. it, it have you tried something like that? Does it work very effectively? It's okay. Why would you be upset when your house just got blown away and all your belongings and all your finances are completely gone now? Why would you be upset? It's just a, just a phantom. It's just, just an entity now it's gone. Would that work? Not for very many. For others, it could actually. It could be the most incredible moment of liberation. But you're going to have to give them something else because people want things. What are you going to have to give them? Come on, you're supposed to be compassionate, enlightened beings. What do you need to give a being, not just say, there's no reason to be you be in pain, your house is gone and all your possessions are wiped away. There should be no pain whatsoever. It's just a mat- just a, It was illusory anyways. Would that work? That is not compassionate under most circumstances. What do you need to do for beings? You need to come from the view of liberation and give them the key. What's the key? That they have everything intact. All they need is what? Mind. Because mind produces everything. There's no need to fret. What do they have that's the most valuable thing? Clear, wisdom-like mind. It reflects all things, it produces all things, it creates all things, and it's totally free. It might take an hour, it might take half an hour, it might take a year, it might take two years, because the fear is so high. <laughs> that's the guru snorting. That's a, that's a snort of a guru. That things depend for their existence on our minds, that things depend for their existence on our minds, like the mirror image of the right hand, does not preclude them from appearing as standing in relations of cause and effect. In other words, you can just by imagination, imagination alone produces cause and effect. We should know that as a law. Imagination can change the entire course of a life. Imagination can bring you out of the hallucination. 
imagination. Why? Why? Because all is imagined. If it's all imagined, then what is the key? Imagination. Get a better imagination. Is the same imaginary world going to work for you? No, but that's what we try again and again and again. Correct? We do it again and we do it again. And what was Einstein's definition of insanity? Doing it again and again, if, even if it doesn't work. Something like that. Expecting a different result. When you're doing it again and again and again and again and again. Make any sense? It's amazing, isn't it? We might interpret the mirror box experiment as a case of an illusory cause, that is the mirrored hand, having a real effect, the removal of the pain. This would not let it come out as a very good example of the Buddhist view of things, since in that case, both the cause and the effect dreaming, or maybe distress, distress, but still a dream, because it's quite possible, here's a possibility about dreams, if you opened the door and went out and petted the dog's head, beautiful doggy's head, right, it might come right out of that dream. Is that compassion? No, but it's love. Now it's interesting. Oh, beautiful. But then we might equally argue that we only call the pain real because it tends to be more stable than other things. Is that right? The pain is real because it's more stable. Is that right? Wrong. If the patient with the mirror tries to grasp something with his two hands, we quickly realize that the left hand has not really been restored to him. We have to fool it so well. It has to be such a thorough fooling that it works. Yeah? It has to be very believable for it to work. But the pain in the phantom limb tends to hang around and is hardly influenced by what we do with the limb. So we might argue that even in this example, both cause and effect can be regarded as illusory. It's all illusory. What we call real thing, real, what we call real are not things. This is this is the hallucination. What is real is given a real meaning. A thing is given a real meaning. Uh-uh. It's simply a what? Appearance in the mind. This this house here, yes? Is what? What is this house? Is it real? It's an appearance in all of our consciousnesses differently constructed based on assumptions. Isn't that something? That's all it is. What we call real are not things. They're not there anyways, but simply the more persistent illusions. Write that down. Really good. Good one there. Jeff or Jan. Good one, Jan. No, really. There's some beautiful, beautiful uh, lines in here. Beautiful summaries is is what? Real. 
illusions, but simply the more persistent illusions. I'll read the sentence again. What we call real are not things, quote, being there anyway, but simply the more persistent illusions. If it's not persistent, we don't take it seriously. But when it's persistent, do you all know what I'm talking about? When it goes on, it's then given a life of its own. We need penetrative insight meditation into anicca, anicca, transience, to break up the habit of persistence. The moment there's a lot of pain and you bore into that experience, you will see the gaps all over the place. Temporary phenomena, rising, falling, rising, falling, rising, falling. Does that mean you don't give morphine? No, give morphine. Does it mean you don't take a painkiller? You should. Why? Why is it dangerous not to take painkillers? Let me give an example. You're cool, right? You're a meditator or you're a spiritual being. And we know that painkillers come from pharmaceutical companies. Bad. Those are bad companies. They're capitalist and they're bad. And we know that some of these drugs are made synthetically. What does pain do? Where is the pain? Where's pain really located? Is it in the limb, the finger, the back? Where is it? It's in the brain. What do analgesics and painkillers mostly do? They act in the brain. So if you let a pain go, listen to the language, a persistent illusion go on too long, what happens? You create a map that's so real and tenacious, it's going to be very hard to dislodge the map because the pain's always there. Or given the right environmental or emotional circumstances, the pain comes out to play. So why would you take painkillers? To do what? Stop the map developing in its tracks. I know all kinds of people that don't do this because it's a chemical, they've got all kinds of weird ideas. But the point is, is pain is dangerous. Pain's dangerous. Pain has a reason for being there. It's telling you there's something wrong. But at the same time, you let it go on too long, it can build and it can create a map. It's very difficult to come up. For instance, maybe someone has a persistent cough. I'm not, not saying, but persistent cough lasts months and months and months. I've met people like this. They can't get rid of the cough. There's no cough there. There's a map of a cough. That becomes part of their personality when there's emotional distress or there is some environmental circumstance. <coughs> <coughs> but there's actually nothing stressing it. That's just the now the natural way in which they function as having the arm in the rabbit hole. You see? How would you come out of that? By being in an environment where you can clearly see that and you can slow it down so fast that you actually see the impulse arising to cough when there's no reason to cough and then it fades. Why, this is why slowing down. <laughs> Prop. Prop. Excellent. Prop. We need to take all the props away. You know, prop room? Take all the props away to do what? Come to see 
the experience as it is, but you can have slow way, 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 way down. Mindfulness. The process of good mindfulness liberates because it does what? It's, it, it, it interferes with the quick arising of phenomena and shows that the quick arising phenomena is not what we actually, uh, is not real. What is that? It's a sound. What do our minds do? Create stories. It's because it's a dog up there sliding down the roof. <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually a pink flamingo. Slide, having, having fun sliding down the roof. Is this making sense? I hope so. Be careful about persistent pain or persistent things will become steady in the mind and be taken as real. That which is temporary phenomena is is different. Once it becomes steady, it becomes very real. But it's not. So the the ability to be very mindful at the millisecond, I won't say that's that's a that's a big one. Let's say 20, 30 millisecond level, 100 millisecond level, breaks up experience into how it actually is and takes what? Takes the emotional affective uh, energy out of it until what does it do? Just falls away. And what happens when it really lands? You experience extraordinary peace called nibbana, cessation, because there's no effect for a phenomena that was an ogre. The phenomena was an ogre and now it apparently is completely clear lucid and open. It was a hallucination. Like life can be a hallucination for some people. Hmm? Their ideas of what you should be and how you should be and where you should go and what you should do and what you shouldn't do is a total hallucination. But it's so believable. It's so utterly believable. And it causes people absolute hell. Mad, absolutely mad. And all day long, they're cons- they're telling themselves what story? I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm living a happy life. I'm happy. I'm happy. I've got all the things around me that tell me that I'm happy. Until there's a breakdown, right? You know this? Until there's a breakdown. Sp- they call it spiritual breakdown. Y- y- these days, you just get drugs for it because it's not a spiritual breakdown. It's what? Depression or something. But it's actually a breakdown. All this imaginary world of things and people and wonderful new fresh coffees and wine bars and uh, cars and clothing and all these things, right? And new channels and new episodes and new movies and new chocolate bars and new types of espresso machines. Just push a button and it's called espresso. Do I? Because you call it espresso. Nespresso. Nespresso, not even. <laughs> but call it Nespresso. Just push a button. It's got a pod. The pod goes in. It's automated. You push a button and out comes a thing that looks like espresso. But we won't even call it espresso. It's called, it's, mar- it's trademark, Nespresso. I'm having a Nespresso. Why do people buy it? They buy it for the design of the machine. 
The marketing is in the machine. It's all in to do with marketing, appearances. If I just have my Nespresso, if I just have my, 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 I'm happy. What happens after 20, 30 years of this? If you're lucky, like, if you're lucky, you'll have a big breakdown. You'll have a big, giant breakdown. Now, do you throw it all, all the door? You take everything in your house because it's bad, including your partner? Yeah, sometimes they do this, right? They take their partner they've been with for 20 years. They take their, their espresso machine. They take their, their microwave oven. They take their fancy designer stove and they hurl it out the window. Enough. All these things out, right? And they get a new life and they become simple. They shave their head. They shave their head. They, get, they wear a special you know, monk or nun's robe. You know, and they, they, they sit in a kind of a zen-like, like there's nothing in the room, it's completely empty, and they've emptied out the room, right? They've gotten rid of all the bad things in their room. What happens? Same thing, right, Anne? Same thing happens. What is it? Why? Because those objects were never the devils themselves. What was it? Simply hallucinations in the mind. And if nobody comes along and tells you that it's actually the mirror-like nature of the mind creating all appearances, you are going to spend the rest of your life spiritually looking for candies without getting to the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter, which is what? The nature of mind. If you ignore the nature of mind, you will always be searching for the appearances in the mind as freedom and not the mind. That's the antidote. The antidote, what causes all this bewilderment? Clinging. Clinging to the appearances in the mind. Mind is absolutely free of clinging. Study the mirror again and again and again. Then reflect on the mind. Study the mirror, reflect on the mind. Study the mirror, reflect on the mind. So I'll read to you now from this Mahamudra text. This uh, particular text was written by uh, the uh, Choki Wangchuk, the Shamapa, Choki Wangchuk in the 16th century. I'll just read to you here a little bit. So, look at, look at your reflection in a mirror. Contemplate how it makes no difference whether the reflection is adorned or beaten, praised or maligned. Your own body is the same as your reflection. Your voice is like an echo. Your thoughts are like mirages mistaken for water. See how they're being used now as, as meditations? High yoga. This is part of the, the six uh, dharmas of Naropa. Look at your reflection in a mirror. Contemplate how it makes no difference whether the reflection is adorned or beaten, praised or maligned. So it doesn't matter what I wear. I could wear the most outrageous clothing in the mirror. Put clothing on, take it off, look like a peacock strutting around, right? Put on a bathing suit. Doesn't matter. What's changed? What's changed? Just reflections. 
Just reflections, 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 reflections. Your own body is the same as your reflection. Look at it. Just look at it. And you'll see how all the imagination will be stirred by what you see. But what is it? Look at it clearly. Your voice is like an echo. Your thoughts are like mirages mistaken for water. What do you mean by water? Mirages mistaken for water. You don't understand that actually all these thoughts are the nature of water itself. This reflection in the mirror has no joy or pain. Isn't that cool? Isn't that brilliant? Just like a mirror. Does the image in the mirror have any pain or pleasure or sorrow or depression? Look to yourself and see if there's any pain or sorrow or depression. And if you keep doing that, you'll see it's just like looking in a mirror. It's constructive. It's illusory. My own body is no different from it. My speech and mind are like echoes and mirages. Practice that meditation and recitation. But it, ta- it doesn't happen in a day. Some it does. Very rarely. Months, sometimes months, until it just pervades the nervous system. Pervades it, pervades it. Until it becomes steady. When you have gained stability and being unaffected by praise and criticism, pleasure and pain, and so on, then have someone you know, such as your lama or a friend, praise and criticize you in various ways. And so, and just keep increasing it. Then go to a place where there are many people, such as on a market day, and behave in either respectable or an unrespectable way so that other people will either praise you or criticize you or even beat you. Yes. Or dislike you. How many people are scared of being disliked? Say the wrong thing? Look to see if this makes any difference to you. If it does... Return to solitude, pray to the Guru and the jewels, the three jewels intense, or the five jewels intensely, and repeat the meditation. And he's got a recitation. All these men and women are like dreams. These words of praise and abuse are like echoes. This isn't this isn't this mind that sees, hears, and experiences, just like a deer mistaking a mirage for water. Now, where does this all go? You've been saying, but where does this go? Want to hear how glorious this is? Mm-hmm. Now we elevate it to the, <coughs> to, the ele- to the level of accomplishment. Training in the, in the pure illusory body. Look at a representation of your idam, of the meditational um, deity, reflected in a mirror, in the same way your own body is the empty deity's body devoid of reality. You have to experience your body as like a reflection in a mirror, hollow, made of light, totally transparent, but appearing clearly. It's called hollow body practice. It appears but has no real existence. Now you're going to say, but that's not true. I can go like this. But if you really practice in this way, you'll know whatever state of mind you're in is how this feels. Right? Shall I? No, no, don't do that. 
however the state of mind you're in is the experience. So one being can get hit in the head like this and crumble and cry. Another being can go, bliss. Have you had this happen to you before? In the right state, at the right time, for somebody else, it would be mind-numbing. It would be uncomfortable. It would be absolutely... Have you seen pictures of people putting swords through their needles, right through their cheek and out the other side? They just stand there like this, right? During religious ceremonies, right through. They're like this. Or how about some of the Christian practices of flailing their back, eh? Whipping their back, blood dripping down. They're completely composed. What does that say? What does that mean? It appears but has no real existence. All beings... Have you heard of very famous... There's a very famous tantric story of a, of a, a very, very accomplished woman yogini. She's walking down the path in, uh, in India. Very accomplished. And there's three men standing in front of her. I think it's three men. And they look at her and go, you're so beautiful. You're so beautiful. Look at your breasts. Look at your body. And they say, we're going to rape you. She says, okay, fine. How would it feel if you, would you like to rape me now? She takes out a knife and she cuts off her breast and holds the breast up. How would you like to rape me now? They go, no. She goes, fine. Good. Walks on. Quite something, isn't it? Did she understand the illusory body or what? Isn't that extraordinary? Like the man I met in um, in Australia, in the outback in uh, Queen in Queensland, uh, visiting this mineral. He had a mineral collection in his, in his trailer where he lived. Somebody told us about. It. He said, "You gotta go visit this guy." And so we went in, and uh, I noticed that when he was talking to me, he had this big. It was right over here. Like a big cutout in his arm. Big, big cutout in his arm. I said, what, did you, what happened there? He says, oh, that was a taipan. I was in the outback and collecting minerals or rocks or something like that. And this taipan came out and bit me right here. So I took my Bowie knife. Right? Oh, yeah, this is great. This guy's like, you know, right in the outback. I took my Bowie knife and I, I realized I only had like 10 minutes to, to live unless I actually. And I said, I started just cutting and cutting and cutting more of my arm out. Yeah. Until I thought I had cut enough out of where the you know, the venomous injection site was. It's a big chunk out of his arm, right? Yeah. Lived through that one. All beings are bodies of the day of the enlightened deities, and all worlds are the inconceivable palaces, and both of these are mere appearances without any reality. So for the ordinary being, this world is not just how it seems sometimes, but becomes so stable and so ordinary, it's our world. Hmm? But if it was elevated and seen as it is, it's mind-bogglingly amazing. It's, this whole world is speaking. What, what's the language of the trees? What's everybody saying out loud, if you could hear it? Everybody saying to you. When they have a conversation, what are they saying? Everything around. The entire place is saying what? 
wake up. Wake up, be free. It's all, the whole universe is screaming, the, the, the sound of the guru. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. When you look at a plant, a beautiful pl- blossom, blossoming plant, what's it saying? What's the message? Oh, I got problems, I got financial problems, I got to pay my visa bill today. So, Andrea, come on, those beautiful flowers. Okay, watch. If only I had roses. <laughs> roses are so much more pretty. And actually, well, I can get roses better in the market. And they don't smell as much as roses. But what are they saying? What's, what's the message of all nature? See it for what it is. Not for what you want. See it for what it is. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. It's all crying out. Wake up. Wake up. All beings are bodies of the deities. If you saw beings the way they are, you realize every single being is what? The Buddha nature. They're exhibiting bodhicitta. They want to be awake. They just don't know how. And they're radiant, and all beings are full of light, and their bodies are absolutely like palaces, like temples before you. All worlds are the inconceivable palaces, and both of these are mere appearances without any reality. Your speech is a sound of mantra, which is like an echo. Everybody speaking is saying the same thing. What are they saying? I want out freedom. Give me freedom. 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 But all sounds are the divine sound. Why? Where are they being where are they coming from? Mine. Every sound is an echo of the enlightened mind, of the ground. Just speaking, speaking. The movements of your mind are the spontaneous liberation of great bliss. When it's illusory and difficult, it's painful and confusing. When it all falls away and you see that images are nothing but the play of radiant light to the mind, it's blissful and illuminating which is like a mirage. Therefore, there is nothing unpleasant or pleasant in the residence, which is the inconceivable palace. There is no aversion or attachment, praise or abuse for the residents who are the images of the deities. There is nothing that brings pleasure or pain in the sounds of the mantra. Thinking that, recite all these forms and appearances such as my own body are the deity's body which is the union of appearance and emptiness, like a reflection. Therefore, how could there be something that would have thoughts of attachment, aversion, praise, and criticism, pleasure, or pain? This is high yoga. So where do you have to get to? You have to get to the point where you see the nature of appearance, not the appearances. The nature of the appearance is appearing in a clear mirror, reflective, glorious, interesting, but without any real substance. And what's the nature of the mirror? It doesn't cling, it doesn't have pain, it doesn't have pleasure. It is resplendently brilliant and is the nature of what? Freedom from clinging is what? Great bliss. Natural great bliss. doesn't require anything. It doesn't require a jacuzzi. It doesn't require water skiing. It doesn't require going on a lake and on a beautiful day. It's what? 
it's always resplendently of the nature of non-clinging blissful awareness all the time, no matter what. Whether your Lama yells at you, whether your Lama praises you and says you're so good, whether your Lama says you're a bunch of idiots, it doesn't matter. Why? Because the enlightened mind is resplendent and glorious. Does it matter what the Lama says? Yes, listen. But the question is, can you listen without being perturbed? Without being thrown for days? Oh my God, I'm bad. No, you're not bad. You're in the nature of Buddha wisdom. Just just elevate it. Bring it up. Keep, keep refining it. Keep refining it. Keep refining it. Like gold. Keep extracting it. Keep extracting it. I think that's about um, plenty for today. Any questions about that? Sure. So when you're meditating and you're looking at awareness and the conscious mind appears to be grasping or things are coming up, you just that's uh, where the pointing out is important that's why I teach over and over and over again go to the awareness where there's no clinging you must have recognized it so clearly so don't get don't get fooled by the appearances and the, and the states of consciousness see the mind in its in its clear pristine aspect and reside with that. See how straightforward it is? Watch. I'll do a demo, okay? Demo. I like demos. Demo time. Is this, is this straightforward? Okay. You could, uh, you could practice this. Come into a room like this, feeling wonderful, right? Shlan is feeling glorious. Oh my God, there's people here. And then you you look around the room and there's you look at the people. Oh, the llama's table, it's got a it's got a teapot and a cup and with all this this you see? Now let's try it this way. Come into the room. And what is there? There's appearances resplendent in the mind of awareness. No more different or interesting, no more than the space of the room. Open potential. Which one do you focus on? All the entities going, look at me, look at me, look at me? Like with peacock feathers? Like this? Or do you reside in the space and the light of the room? Which is clear, joyous, non-clinging. What would happen if someone got up right now? Anne, get up. Stand up, Anne. And start shouting. Stow something. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Right. What is that any different than what's happening right now? No. Nothing's, nothing's disturbed. Nothing's been altered. So when the mind clings to the forms appearing in the mind, we have dukkha. When the mind is absolutely confident through experience, 
in its pristine nature, its clear, open, spacious, unobstructed nature, it's not fooled. The appearances can appear, but there's no movement. That's all. It's called recognition. Recognize the nature, not the objects appearing. Or recognize the nature of the objects. They're free and empty. Anne's words are like echoes bouncing around in space. Only mind attributes meaning to it and reacts. Where's love come in then? The compassion, the confusion, and the awesome beauty of beings, of all creatures, really, as manifestations of bodhicitta. You can't help but love it. Why? Every single manifestation is a manifestation of the enlightenment mind screaming out for liberation and manifesting an infinite display of, of, of magnificent qualities. Bewilderment or no bewilderment, that's what it is. We purify so that the bewilderment is less and less and less and the mind cannot reside whether it's upset or it's doing this or in pain or in difficult circumstances in what? In absolute pristine clarity. Compassionate, pristine clarity. So you're going to go to the market on Friday, next Friday, and see if you can walk around in a state of pristine clarity without being subsumed or overwhelmed or swept away by the marketplace. Real practice. Go, you go do it. All those images happening in the marketplace are the images that are arising in your mind. The beings in the marketplace are very different. Like Guatemalans. If you say, oh, you know, to somebody, they just got off the plane or something, say, oh, let's go to Ponichel tomorrow. People, you know what Guatemalans often say? Not, not Laurel. Others? Why would you? Ponichel city. Why would you bother? Ponichel city. Person getting off the plane? Oh, it's wondrous. How do you think the market looks if you're up in Sola? How do you think the market looks to the people that go there every every year, been going there for 20 years to the market? Do you think it looks the same to a visitor? It's a completely different place, isn't it? One person in the market's a wondrous place, another person in the market's hell. Someone else, the market's a place where you can make money, somebody else the pla- is, a, is a place where you can buy things. And, and on, 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 and on. Infinite possibilities for what happens in the marketplace. What is it all? It's a display of mind. So where's the clinging? Which one do you want to cling to? Which one? Which, 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 which market do you want to cling to? Which vision of the market? The tourist market? Beautiful beings appearing? A palace of deities? Which one? Hell? Heaven? Which one's it going to be for you at that moment? What's the most important thing to do? Recollect the clear, light nature of the mind that resides in compassion and awareness. And if you've recognized it and you've experienced it, you come back to that. Don't be fooled. Keep coming back to that. So that's why you meditate on the mirror. Until it feels like a mirror.
but not like a mirror. It feels like mirror-like consciousness, clear and obstructed and heartfelt and open and loving and resplendent in a natural, non-pretentious way, and you don't have to have a rosary to do it. You don't have to have a rosary to do it. Why? Because what's the rosary? What's mantra? Mantra is what? The awareness of mind. Awareness of the nature of mind. What is this? Is a beautiful way to get you to practice and to speak with Buddha speech as opposed to regular speech. See? So, tool of compassion. Okay, folks, so uh, I will I will go over to the other building. Uh, if anybody wants to see me, if clear up any doubts or confusion or tell me about beautiful experience of the pristine nature of the mind. It's all that anyways. Uh, I'll be there. And then... Um, then you have all day today to practice and uh, maybe a session this afternoon, if you'd like, this afternoon with uh, either one or the other of these beings. And then tomorrow, the entire day of Monday uh, spent practicing, mirror, 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 mirror. Or if there's something else you're really deeply involved in, it could be bubbles or uh, thunder and lightning, that was very, very good again last night, uh, but, but something, work it all day, work it all day, investigate, explore, play, deep, 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 deep all day. And then tomorrow, uh, Tuesday in the morning, there will be the Hevadra empowerment. Probably not here, somewhere else. I don't know. It'll Where's be at Balmya. Balmya. Okay. Where, where we stay? No. Oh. Uh, where Laurel is. Or where Laurel is? Oh, yeah. uh, Balmya. Okay, good. Okay. Maybe we'll get it posted for you. Okay. Tuesday morning, which is two days away, two mornings away, uh, there'll be a wankar of Hevadra, which is a highest yoga tantra, yidam, of the highest yoga tantra, to ripen minds. Why? I didn't speak about this. Let's speak a little bit about it. Why? Because just like the mirror box, we need to create mirror appearances that are stronger than the maps we have going. Therefore, we need to adopt enlightened imagery in the mind, in the speech, in the body, all places, so thoroughly that the map let go into what? Pristine, clear awareness, Buddha speech, awake speech, which is the nature of the Adam. Does that make any sense? That's why. It's basically going to be a mirror box. A big, beautiful, glorious mirror box that you enter into. Why? To change the course of the karmic formations which are so tenacious. Because every time you look in the mirror, you see yourself. But if you looked in the mirror and saw Buddha nature, uh, now we're talking the Adam practice. If every time you said something, went, whoa, that's Buddha speech. Or you heard somebody say, that's Buddha speech. Here, would you like to buy a piece of cloth? Buddha speech. Then we're getting somewhere. All being speech is a speech of the Buddhas. Respect it. Or run. That's called respect too. Okay, very good. See you, um, if I don't see you earlier, see you on Tuesday morning. I think, what time is it called for? 9, 9.30? 9.30. 9.30, be fine. Yes? Can you just say something about, for instance, I recall one time you said, don't walk, run to the Wonko when you enter. 
things like that. Is there anything about that you could tell us about our, our approach? And our uh, mental attitude is joy, loving kindness, openness, respect, and appropriateness for that moment. It doesn't matter if you run or walk to a Wonkor, it's how it's done. It's not it's not the beha- it's not the outer, it's the inner. What is what is appropriate for that moment that makes sense in terms of respect for the enlightenment mind. I mean, this being here, uh, why why did I, I, I was told by a very eminent Lama to use the title Lama. He insisted. So that's enough. <laughs> don't 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 use your don't use either Tibetan or your ordinary. You must use the word Lama. Why? For the benefit and compassion of other beings, to respect Buddha nature. You have to elevate it, elevate it, elevate it. It's very important. Uh, is there something to do before Wankor? Yeah, be in the best space possible. Be in a state of wonder, openness, uh, uh, especially to contemplate. Uh, to awaken quickly for the sake of all sentient beings. Get that in the mind stream. Some purification of maybe Vajrasattva, if you know purification. But you are purified. What you're doing here is beautiful purifying. What is the mirror? What's the mirror mind? It's Vajrasattva. If you can experience your whole being transforming into the mirror-like clarity of the crystal clarity of pristine perception, that is Vajrasattva. Purification. Vajrasattva. Beautiful. So come naturally but with interest and joy. And, um, yeah, not so much more. You're all, you're all, it's beautiful because you're in retreat. There's really not much to be said because what you're doing and what you're practicing is, is, uh, is so appropriate. Okay. And I'll speak more about, uh, about that. Yes. I bring them, but uh, maybe check with uh, Jamie beforehand. Some are appropriate, some are inappropriate. What's also inappropriate is when people either bring musical instruments and don't play them, or play them badly and can't play them. Uh, so then some people bring a musical instrument they've never played before. So they're just clunk, clunk, clunk or something. So maybe check in with Jamie before I bring music. I, like, I really like music in one course, but I like it to be played well, not sort of... Uh, I've never played a bell before, but I'm going to play it now, or, or, or a damn roo or a drum, and it's like clunk, and then, oh. Yeah. Yeah, really. Yeah, really. Or, or, or they, or they, or, or yeah, oh, oh, they, they, they bring, or they come in, and there's a conch, but they haven't practiced it at all, and now they're going to blow it. <laughs> That's about how good their meditation is, usually. No, really, because they're not—they're not respecting that one should practice, go away and practice, so that the sound is for all beings, not for you. It's for all beings, all beings, all beings. It doesn't have to be work of a maestro, but so. So if you're going to bring something in, at least play it fairly well, to to a place where it sounds sonorous or well to other beings' ears. But it doesn't have to be at a level of mastery. But at least, at least have practiced. Okay, that's plenty for today. By this powerful activity of Dharma, Dharma teaching, 
May it quickly lead the cessation of all the floods and hallucinations for all beings. Idante punikamang asawakiwang ho tu, idante punikamang asawakiwang ho tu, idante punikamang asawakiwang ho tu. Sabe satasu tahantu, may all beings be well and happy, may all beings be established in a continual freedom, the nature of the mind, unfolding it to the perfect union of wisdom and compassion. Saramangalam, saramangalam, saramangalam.